0: She's a firefly, got lost, but she's following her own light. On the outside, looking through the window, city lights shine bright, but she still glows. We are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world. And it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. If you work with a child with autism or if you have a child with autism, this is an episode for you. I'm going to talk about the number one single greatest mistake that I see in autism intervention. And then I'm going to leave you with 11 tips of what to do instead. So first of all, let's dive in to what the number one greatest mistake that I've seen in my over 20 years of working with children with autism. This is when I'm going to find the worst outcomes. It's when someone adheres to one single intervention program in which they take all of their eggs and they put it in that bandwagon and they go with it. And the reason for that is because autism is a multifaceted impairment. It requires a multifaceted approach. So, what I want you to do instead is think about intervention as not an either this or that proposition, but rather think of intervention as an all of the above proposition. The intervention instead of thinking of it is "Are we going to take this approach or are we going to take that approach?" I want you to think of the word and I want you to think of taking this approach and this approach and this approach and this approach. Now, this is very important because now a lot of the information coming out today is some artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is binary. It thinks in zeros or ones. So what it does is it records back a message from you. So it can record back a message, for instance, from a natural language acquisition approach and say, this is what you should do. Or it can record back a message from an applied behavioral analysis approach and say, this is how you should treat autism. It can't do what we can do, in which you take all of the approaches and you combine the active ingredients from each approach and you treat the multifaceted condition that autism is. AI cannot do that. Do not let AI, do not like AI type thinking, dictate your autism intervention. This is, I said before, I'm bringing out my axe again. The single greatest mistake made in autism intervention is to take an either or approach and to put all of your eggs in one single approaches basket because autism, once again, is multifaceted condition. It requires a multifaceted approach. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read a list and it's not even comprehensive. It's a list of popular approaches out there today. And these approaches are all evidence-based. So all of these approaches have active ingredients that are unique to this approach. So we want all of it. We want all of the above. And when I read this list, I'm going to say the word and after each of these words, I'm going to say and, 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 and. And that's what makes you unique as a human being. You don't think in zeros and ones. You think in an all of the above multifaceted manner in which you're able to take the active ingredients in every approach I'm going to read to you right now. And after that, I'm going to leave you with 11 questions to consider when it comes to intervention. If you want to evaluate, is this intervention multifaceted? Is this intervention treating the multifaceted condition that autism isn't? And if it isn't, what can you do to add to your pot? What are you missing? And I know we're all missing something. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you where I need to work on my intervention. I We're all growing together. We're all at the drawing board together. I'm in the trenches with you. I'm working alongside you. I'm innovating practice with you. I'm changing lives with you. I'm failing forward with you. So let me go ahead and dive into this list of evidence-based approaches. And I'm going to use the word purposefully and because once again, treating autism is an all of the above proposition. So here is a list of evidence-based strategies that have their pros and they have their cons, but we're going to, like I say in the Bhagavad Gita, my favorite quote of all, we're going to approach it like a swan. We're going to swallow the milk that nourishes you and spit out the dirt of each of these approaches. So the first one is dynamic tactile temporal cueing. We're going to take that and James McDonald's Eco Approach Communicating Partners, and Early Social Intervention, and The Sunrise Approach, and Stanley Greenspan's DIR Floor Time, and Natural Language Acquisition, and Relationship Development Intervention, and Hannon. And LEAP and all of the milieu therapies and the impact telehealth approach, telehealth approach, excuse me, and the integrated peer groups and activity based intervention. I like Diane Bricker style, I'm kind of old school, and task oriented movement therapy, and CERTs, and sensory integration therapies, and teach, and PEX and prompt, and early start Denver model, and verbal behavior analysis, and applied behavioral analysis. We're going to take all of those approaches, and we're going to approach them like a swan. We are going to swallow what nourishes you, the active ingredients in those approaches that make them effective. And we're going to spit out the dirt. We're going to cut the fat because time is your most valuable asset. And it's even more so the case for your clients who are young children when neuroplasticity is at its greatest level. You can create major change. So I would argue their time is exponentially more important than ours. So let me dive in now to the 11 tips that I'm going to recommend. These 11 questions that you're going to ask when it comes to your all of the above intervention, when it comes to treating autism spectrum in which autism is multifaceted. So we need to think about all of it. The first and most important thing we want to consider, I think, is that is the learning multimodal, multisensory. Now we consider that it's estimated that over 90% of children with autism have sensory and auditory processing challenges. So with learning, are we always going multimodal? Are we thinking about, am I providing the information with print? Am I providing the information with the visuals? Am I using the gestures? Am I considering the sensory input when I'm providing information? How can I give them information and not just an auditory manner, considering that auditory processing issues is a hallmark deficit area for children with autism? The second question we need to ask is, is there a relationship building component to meet children where they are and to capitalize on their interests? And I think as simple as having an 80% of the time positive interaction you would be surprised. But if you go in and you look at these children with autism and you took a tally on the percentage of redirections these children get in a day versus the percentage of positive feedback they get, I think you would be shocked. Are these children getting positive feedback 80% of the time or are they getting negative redirections 80% of the time? That's the basics. That's positive behavior support, but that's a relationship building. So is there that relationship building component? If you don't have a relationship with a child, you're not going anywhere. And the research even indicates that children with autism, when they're with family members, their mirror neurons double in activation when they're doing motor imitation tasks. So relationships matter. Having a positive relationship really matters. And it's worth a lot of time and effort to develop that. The third question we're going to need to ask is. Is this learning integrated into natural activities, into play, into the natural routine, into the natural environment? Children with autism are like other children in that they don't learn from a single modality. When children learn, they learn from all of their modalities simultaneously. So we can't just have learning occurring at a table in a discrete manner. Sure, there might be a place for that. And we'll talk about that later. We need it to occur in an integrated, total body manner, such as play, in which the child is learning with their bodies. They're learning through their senses. It's in a hands on, active participation method, not passive. So think about that is the learning integrated into play, the natural routine the natural environment, using all of the child's domains and learning. Number four, this is very important. Is there a predictable routine that provides for safety for these kiddos? These children have sensory systems. Sensory systems are here to keep us safe, that are disturbed. So it's estimated that over 90% have sensory challenges. Now that tells you you're not safe. What we need to do for compensating for that is we need to make sure that predictable routines are part of the learning experience. We want to get them out of that amygdala brain and into that higher level thinking brain as much as possible. In everything I do, I'm always thinking about how can we switch that light switch because that's how the brain works. You're either in amygdala mode or you're in the higher level mode. There, It's, it's no in between. Where are we going to flip it? We can't be in both. So how are we going to get out of that amygdala brain? A really powerful way of doing so is being predictable. Being predictable in the way you act and in your routines, that's really going to help the children feel safe. So the next question we're going to ask, number five, is... Is there repetition in explicit direct instruction provided for concepts that simply do not come naturally because the child is neurodivergent? So this is what I talked about before. Sure, they're going to need a lot more repetition, for instance, of motor acts and practicing motor acts to learn them in developing speech than their neurotypical children and comprehending language than the neurotypical children because of the neurodivergent brains. Is there going to be added practice and repetition that's done in a meaningful and fun manner for these children? So that needs to be provided for in consideration that a lot of them, this is just not going to naturally happen. It's going to require a lot more elbow grease, a lot more repetition for this to occur. Number six, augmentative and alternative communication. Now we understand that a core symptom of autism spectrum is communication delay. Augmentative and alternative communication we know only improves speech and language development. It does not hinder it. So once again, thinking multimodal, thinking how are we going to help this child express themselves? What can we use besides speech to develop that speech? Many of my children, I think most of the children I've worked with, learn to read before they learn to talk in reading was the avenue that helped them to produce speech. We capitalized on their visual strengths. So we went through the back door. Instead of them hearing the word to say it, they read the word and then they could say it. So thinking about AAC, that's only going to help these children develop speech, not hurt their ability Is that integrated? And I like to integrate AAC right from day one from children who are inconsistently speaking or minimally speaking. Number seven, do they have access to neurotypical peers as much as possible, to the least restrictive environment as much as possible? Let's make sure that's happening as well. Give them the good stuff. Give them those educationally rich learning experiences and setting them up for success in those instances. Number eight is intervention specifically provided that improves their motor skills. So it's estimated that approximately 90% This is a huge number of children with autism spectrum disorder have a generalized motor delay in their body. Now, this is really important because children interact with other children, not through words, but through actions. How do they initiate play? When we're looking at preschoolers, they don't ask, can I play play? what they do is they do what their neurotypical peers are they doing, or they do what their peers are doing. So if their peer is there and their peer is going and making breakfast, and you know how complex that is, they're like making pancakes and making coffee and doing X, Y, and Z, they need to be able to do that if they want to join them in the play. So having Motor skills is very important. That's how preschoolers communicate with one another, much more so than words. A lot of our kiddos are locked in. We communicate with one another through our motor skills. That's 80% of our communication, but also that's how we have control over our environment. So that's how we control with our communication with others and control over the physical environment we are in and control of our bodies and space. These children, we've talked about it before, are grossly and unethically being underserved. They are not receiving the movement therapy, the physical therapy that they qualify for. What we can do as a result, as speech therapists, as teachers, as parents, as anyone whatsoever, any adult whatsoever can do task-oriented movement. Therapy. They can do task oriented movement intervention. You do not need a degree for that. Anyone can do that. Okay, so let's move on to the next one. Number nine is intervention specifically focused on improving the speech motor disorder. So this was something that I found by accident. I had a speech. Um, articulation summer camp, speech camp. And all we worked on is articulation. It was an articulation summer enrichment program I did with Wayne State University. And I had a lot of students join the program that had autism and they were not speaking or they were very inconsistently speaking. I should say that. They're minimally speaking. And I said, let's see what happens. Let's give them the speech intervention program. Normally I would work on language, work on augmentative communication. I didn't go into speech. We had bigger fish to fry, right? But I'm like, let's see what happens. Let's give them the speech intervention program. They flourished. They took off. And why was that? I used a speech motor disorder approach. I used what we would do for children that have dysarthria or that have childhood apraxia of speech. I use these methods that we use when the speech simply does not develop naturally due to neurological differences. I use the word speech motor disorder when we're talking about children with autism. I'm not mincing my words. I'm not saying speech sound disorder. And that's because children with autism, inherent with that autism impairment, is an auditory processing issue. You cannot say what you cannot perceive. So that's part of the neurological difference that results in a speech motor disorder. The second issue we have is a generalized motor delay. As I mentioned before, what happens in the body happens in the mouth. So we have this motor delay that's inherent in populations with autism. The third is the motor coordination issues. So when I look at these children with autism, I don't consider them. I consider them three times exceptional. And that they're more likely to have auditory processing issues affecting speech, motor delays affecting speech, and motor coordination issues affecting speech. Ergo, a speech motor disorder. The problem is, is no one is treating the speech motor disorder. And when you do, as I did by mistake, treat the speech motor disorder, you're going to find incredible gains in expressive language because of course the speech and language are very connected. So you can't talk when you have a severe speech motor disorder, when you can't hear what you're saying, when you can't hear the words, it's hard to say them. When you have motor coordination issues and when you have motor delays, it's hard to speak because what happens in the body happens in the mouth. So that is something that I consider very important and has really accelerated my gains is treating the speech motor disorder when you're working with children with autism. This is going to be a game changer. Number 10, a question to ask is, is there intervention provided to target the language comprehension development? Now, what I found to be hugely effective when it comes to language comprehension is not asking the yes, no, who, what, where, when, why, yes, no, questions, all of those WH questions. What I found to be very effective is to go right for the literacy and go right for the acting out stories telling stories with visual context, with props galore, with gestures galore, with maximum level of prompting using the dynamic tactile temporal cueing. Yes, we do refer to that in speech, but no, it actually originated in language. And it was John Rosenbeck who developed it and he did it for individuals that had aphasia, adults with aphasia. And it was highly effective with them. This is the approach we use a most to least prompting hierarchy using multimodal cueing with storytelling. Try that with your children with autism. You're going to be very impressed with the gains. You're going to be extremely impressed when you see the WH and the yes, no questions spontaneously develop through a cascading impact. So this is something that is really going to put fireworks to the child's linguistic system. Now, number 11 is the bonus. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm here and I'm struggling alongside with you. As a speech pathologist who typically has 50 children on my caseload, and I specialize in children with all of the impairments at the preschool level, but with children with complex communication needs, I will tell you that I am giving 100% of all of my effort to the intervention in the school setting. And what I have not been able to do effectively is provide for parent education. It is a necessary component. Parent education to these parents who are teaching children who are neurodivergent, where things just don't develop naturally, and it requires a great deal of skill. So, how are we going to empower these parents to teach their children in the natural environment for the home setting? So this is something, and this is why I'm getting my doctorate right now that I'm working on, and like, how can I make this possible, realizing that in my day, I'm in therapy every minute of the day, I'm doing my lunch hours, I'm doing my paperwork, so how can I build in this parent education component, and I am doing that right now. I'm working on it. I'm working with my colleagues on it. I'm working on my courses in it. I have something actually pretty great in the works. I can't wait to share with you after I get it going in my own intervention. But it's not easy because, like I said, time is a very limited resource. If you're like me and you work in a public school setting, you're going to have a high number of students. And you're spending every minute of your day meeting those therapy requirements, direct therapy requirements. And the question is, okay, I can't create time. How can I work smarter and not harder and do this really important piece of the puzzle, which is parent education? So that's what I'm working on. I can give you some hints. It's going to be through an asynchronous telehealth manner what I'm developing. And I write about it so far. I've I've been using video clips from therapy to share with parents, but I'm going to take it up a level considerably. So there's always more to do. I can tell you that's my Achilles heel. That's what I'm constantly working on and developing consideration of the very real world constraints we have. So if you want to learn more, check out my book, Thirty-two lessons that create lifelong change in autism intervention. This book—I mean, this is the first announcement I made about it—is on Audible. So if you just don't get enough, you like, oh my goodness, I only get to hear Kelly once a week on this podcast. It's just not enough. I need more. I need more in her autism intervention talk. I think you're going to love the book. What I do in this book on Audible is I read 32 short, important, game changing tips. <clears throat> so I start off with a vignette and say, this is what it looks like in practice. And then I tell you, here's the theory. This is the research and this is what you do. And it's quick. It's, it's quick and fast. This is just what you need to do. No, and what you need to put into practice like right now here are five tips. Boom. So this is on Audible and I encourage you to go ahead and check it out. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not Finding Me by Viola Davis. So what you can do, because that book is incredible. That's on Audible. Okay. Finding Me by Viola Davis is like the best book ever. And then on Audible is ridiculous. Okay. So you can treat yourself. You can be like, oh, okay, I want to change children's lives with autism. So in my spare time, I'm going to listen to Kelly and she's going to give me 32 great tips cuz Kelly's like in it, not only not only is she a researcher, but she's doing it. She's doing the thing. And on one hand she's doing the research, and the other hand she's doing the intervention and back and forth and she's telling you, "Hey, this is ex- I'm giving you everything. This is what works." So you you this is what you're going to do. You're going to listen to me. You're going to listen to one lesson of Kelly. And then you're going to reward yourself. It's like a, you need your first then chart. And then you're going to listen to Viola Davis's Finding Me. You're Whoa. <laughs> and that's your entertainment. And then you go back the next day. You're going you listen to chapter with me and that's going to be like, this is like your broccoli, right? This is good for you. This is your Brussels sprouts and sardines, which I eat for lunch every day. This is what's going to make you super. Okay. You get your Cali book. It's going to make you super. And then, so you had your Brussels sprouts and sardines and then you go and you get your chapter of Viola Davis and you get your entertainment. Okay. You get your butter popcorn. Okay. So you see what I mean? For the evening, I hook you up. I give you the good stuff. The Brussels sprouts and sardines. Yes, that's what I eat from lunch every day at work. My colleagues love me. <laughs> and then go listen to another out of all for some great entertainment. I would recommend Viola Davis's Finding Me. So nonetheless, I think you would agree <clears throat> what you find from my book and what you find from Viola Davis's Finding Me, you are not going to get on the internet for artificial intelligence. Both of these books, I do compare it because it can only be given to you through experience. You have to have been in the trenches. You have to have experienced it firsthand in order to share these experiences. And um, that's what makes this book so special. It will change lives. So I want you to take all of this information. Check out my book, 32 Lessons That Create Lifelong Change. I'm reading it to you. I know that just hearing me once a week on Thursdays is just not enough. (laughs) You need like 32 lessons. You need to hear me every day for a month. But I promise you that this book will leave you with great tips to put right into practice day, like right now, and to change lives. Like I said, my recommendation though, I know that you got to like have a little entertainment, get your Viola Davis fix, Finding Me get both of the books and just kind of, you'll get your butter popcorn and you'll get your sardines and Brussels sprouts from me. Okay. So take all of this information, roll up your sleeves and make the world a better place. One child at a time. You are always going to be first.